0: Heal our land. We believe that Jesus stood on a mountainside and preached a sermon 2,000 years ago that if we listen with the right ears, it sounds like he wrote it for 2020. It sounds like he knew, wink, wink, that we would be needing to hear these words at this time in our nation. And... I don't even have to go too far back. I can just go back to this past week. We've got wildfires in California. We've got hurricanes rolling in off the coast. And now we get to walk into this election season with this whole vacancy in the Supreme Court up for grabs. Okay. It is going to be bloody, isn't it? Is anybody going, whew, I think we're going to coast the rest of 2020, aren't we? And so many of us that follow Jesus, and perhaps this has been your prayer, and perhaps you may not even consider yourself a spiritual person, a religious person, yet you've got something inside of you that you just kind of look up to whoever's up there, and you're like, you got to do something. We need some kind of healing, don't we? And so as followers of Jesus... What Chris and I believe and we're trying to communicate and he started so powerful with last week was that it's through this message that Jesus delivered on this mountainside 2,000 years ago. Inside the message, we have the means of healing our land. But what we're discovering is he's not just going to... Flip a switch. He could. It's in his capability. But at the same time, he said that there's salt and light of the earth, and that's you and that's me. And then he calls us to something. And that's where Chris came in last week so powerfully with this, just do it. Be this calling. And we're about to unpack the calling. We're, we're going to get into some places where it says, here's how we do this, and he gets very practical. I mean, once again, you're going to be amazed that we're reading ancient literature as we go through this because it looks like it came off of a Twitter feed. I'm serious, as you get into this sermon because it is so relevant to where we are today. Well, two things that Jesus addresses inside of this sermon he wrestles with two questions that all societies, all tribes, all people groups, all cultures have wrestled with at the beginning of the year. And here's the two questions, and I'm going to put them up there for you. Who are the people who have it good? And who are the good people? And these are two critical questions because we're so tempted to look around and go, who are the people that have it good? Who... Who are the successful people? Who are the ones that have it together? Who have all the merits? Who have all the promotions? Who have all the titles? Who have all the cars? Who have all the luxury? All the vacation? You just go down. Who have all the followers on Instagram? Who are the people that have it good? Who are the people that we may not say out loud, but we look at and go, I wish I was them. Or I wish I had what they And don't you even get a little self-righteous, you might, because I'd appreciate it more. Because I would steward it better, right? And then the second question is powerful too, because so who are the good people in any culture, in any people group, in any tribe, in any gathering? Who are the good people? And how do you go about defining the good people? And what happens for this question, why it's such a powerful, these two questions together, is the answer becomes overlapped in many ways. And so what happens is we start defining those who have it good as the good people. You understand where I'm coming from? Make sense? We start thinking that those who have it all, they must be the good people. And this belief was definitely... Around when Jesus first delivered this sermon, there was an idea amongst the Jewish people, and at this point, he's speaking to a predominantly Jewish audience on this mountainside that if you were successful, if you were well off, if you didn't live with kind of this, this hand to mouth, daily bread need kind of existence, then God put his favor on you. God has smiled on you because obviously you're one of the good people, so therefore you have it good. This this hasn't gone away in our world today. I mean, in fact, there's even scriptures in the Bible where disciples will come up on someone who has a certain disability. And then they will get into a debate on, well, I wonder who sinned. Was it The parents, or was it this person that sinned, that God would cause them to have disability? You see how ingrained this thinking was in them? And so Jesus is going to answer both of these questions. Who has it good, and how can you identify the good people? And here's, I'll give you the hard part, here's the spoiler. It's not an easy answer. It's not one that you go, oh joy, that's what I hope the answer was. This is the one where, again, I thought about titling this entire series, Seriously? Because this is where if you'd been in the crowd that day, you would have raised your hand and said, I must be lost, because it doesn't sound like you're describing people that have it good. That's why, as Jesus came up to a mountainside, and the crowds followed him, And then he began to teach. He opens with these words. And once you have your Bibles open, your app open to Matthew chapter 5. And I just want you to hear the words. Just hear the words at first. I'm going to go through it. We've already shared them once, but I want you to just hear them again. If you want to follow along on your page or in your Bible, you can but just hear these words, and then I'm going to come back and give you what I think is a key to unlock these words. So Jesus is answering the question, who has it well off? Who's got it good? And he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they'll be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he goes through the list. And you can imagine everybody at the hillside that day said, What? Because it's not a list that you want to be on. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to take that very first one of them. Verse 3, and I think if we'll unpack verse 3, it works as a template for everything else that's to follow. And there's three major things that we can take away from verse 3, and he says in verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. First word I want you to know, blessed. Blessed. Again, if you're following your Bible or you've got an app open, you either highlight it or you circle that word. He starts with the word blessed. Blessed means happy. Happy are the ones who have this. Well off are the ones. You want to know who has it good? You want to know the people that have stumbled into the secret of happiness? You want to know the people that you can envy? And then he gives us this list. But here's what we, before we go any farther, one of the struggles that I have, because I was, I'm grateful to have grown up. In the church, mom and dad brought me to church. I've been a student of the Bible for a long time. That doesn't make me any better, but the problem is it makes it very familiar to me. And so often the beatitudes, and that's what these are known as, and beatitude is simply the Latin word for happy. Okay, so happy are blessed are, and that's why if you've heard these referred to as the beatitudes, that's why they're called this. I've read these again and again, or I heard them, or heard them to where they're so familiar that what I naturally want to do is I want to go, yeah, 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 get to the real stuff, right? Anybody else? Am I the only sinner in the room? Is this anybody else? Anybody else struggle with that? They're what I call a refrigerator magnet kind of verse, where we put them on the refrigerator magnet. I've seen some people have them, and they've been needlepoint, and it's beautiful, and they've got them up at home. You may have that. I'm not mocking that at all. I'm suggesting that perhaps you struggle like I struggle, that they become so familiar that they lose their teeth, right? They don't have the bite that they're supposed to have. Because we try to get on to the things that we're supposed to do next. Jesus begins this whole sermon. We can't miss this. Jesus didn't throw an introduction together and just try to get on to the next stuff. He chose this word, blessed. So here's what I want you to understand, because my temptation is to try to turn these into commandments, right? Where I look at this list and I go, okay, so I need to have more poor in spirit. I don't know what that means, but I got more poor in spirit. But this falls apart real quickly Because I think Jesus is trying to give me a checklist, and then I get to mourning. Blessed are those who mourn. I'm supposed to mourn more? I've been around people that mourn. I've mourned myself. My mom passed away five years ago. Her birthday and my dad's mom's anniversary both come up this next week. I talked to my brother yesterday. He said, yeah, I'm taking dad." out to the cemetery, and I knew exactly what he meant. And I could actually see my dad, because I've been on this trip with my dad before, kneeling beside my mom's grave and just having a moment and repeating the words, I love you, I love you, I love you. My dad mourns. I go, I'm supposed to have more of that in my life? No, that's not what Jesus is saying, because the blessings... The Beatitudes are not commands, they're blessings. These are blessings, not commands. Whether you're at home or whether you're here in the room, I want you to say this out loud with me. These are blessings. Let's do it again. These are not These are blessings, not commands. Please do not take the Beatitudes and turn it into a checklist. Jesus does not hand this off as a checklist and said here you need more of this in your life and if you'll do more of this then I'll love you. He says I love you now. I want you to know how much. And here's the kind of life I want you to have. These are blessings. They are not commands. I encourage you to write not commands in your Bible or on your app. So you will never forget where these are coming from. Second thing he shares with this, second part of that verse, blessed blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, what does that mean? What's it mean? Now, if you get over into Luke's version of this, Luke just stops with blessed are the poor. And so maybe there's this idea that, that if we're more poor We're somehow more in the favor of God. That's not what it's calling us to. God does have a special eye for those that are poor. Don't get me wrong. He he has a special heart for those. But that's not the call. The poor, or in Matthew's version, the poor in spirit, there's this context for it that's hard to understand until you understand another word. I'm going to give you a Hebrew word, and this is one thing that I discovered this week in the study, and it was just powerful when I started reading the stuff about this. And here's this word. It's um, anawim. Anawim is the Hebrew concept or Hebrew word, and it means left out, left behind, overlooked. And where this concept comes from originally, this anawim, it it comes from the fact when the people of God were invaded by Babylon... Invaded by all these other countries that came, and when they invaded the country, they took over everything and they rounded up all the finest people of the conquered nation. All the strongest, the healthiest, the smartest, the brightest, and they took them and they took them back to Babylon to indoctrinate them in Babylon culture and to use their gifts, their strengths, their willingness back in the home world. The Anawim were the ones deemed. Not good enough. So think about that. You've been conquered by an enemy, and the enemy looks at you and says, not worth our time. Anybody have an on experience in your life? Where you felt left behind, not included, overlooked, where a spouse has betrayed you, and you feel that sting deep, everybody else in your friend group seemed to get the invite to whatever that social event was, and some reason you 're on the outside looking looking in You, you ever had that experience and we 're so neurotic about this at times. you had the experience i one time I was on a mission trip I was in mexico i I speak very, very, very broken spanish at best we 're talking high school, one or two years, a couple of of sentences, So I do not understand the, the Spanish language. I'm sitting at a restaurant. There's another large table of, of only Spanish speakers next to me, and they're having a great time, and they're laughing. I had the thought, I bet they're laughing at me. Now, I couldn't understand a single word, but what's going on? I'm on the outside. And so now I'm feeling left out, unincluded. Overlooked, ignored. That time you got passed over for the job. The time you got passed over for the promotion. The time you didn't make the sports team that you'd set all of your hopes on making. Overlooked, left out, unincluded. That's the Anawim. That's the group of people that are standing in front of Jesus today. That's the group of people that we need to understand at some point in our life, some ways, we're the Anaheim. And I hope this connects with you in a powerful way because because at some point, I think we're all there. I've shared this story before, but I remember one of my friends in fifth grade, his name was Teddy. And Teddy's family didn't have a lot of money. And Teddy's family had some different religious beliefs than the mainstream of the class. And one of their religious beliefs was they did not celebrate any holidays. No birthdays, no Christmas, no Easter, no, no holidays were to be celebrated. Well, this is long before some of the reform that's come to our schools today, and I know this would not be tolerated any which way today, but when I was in fifth grade, I have fond memories of the teacher on the day that every kid looks forward to that Christmas party day, right? Because like on Christmas party day, like there's no work being done, and you know that, okay? Back in my day, you knew it was a good day because they would wheel, wheel, um, wheel down not the VCR, but the film thing, you know, the thing went clack, 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 clack. Google it, it's actually existed. And we'd watch movies all day, and we'd eat, you know, all kinds of sweets because we weren't about sugar back then. We were tougher, I think. <laughs> and we were going to enjoy this. Well, Teddy, who was already on the outside, because, again, Teddy's family didn't have a lot of money, and so Teddy actually came in some hand-me-down shirts that if you looked close enough, you could tell they were hand-me-downs from his sister, his old sister. On this particular day, when we're all a bunch of fifth graders ready to celebrate Christmas because we don't have any schoolwork on this day, I can remember the teacher over in the corner of the room saying, Teddy, why can't you practice? Why can't you celebrate this with us? You're going to have to tell me why. And I'm not making this up. She looks at him and says, if you can't participate, you need to sit over here and write an essay. You want to talk about feeling left out? Does that sit in anybody else's stomach like it sits in mine? That's the Anahim. And God looks at that crowd on the hillside that day, and He looks at you and me, and He says, Blessed are you if you've ever felt left out. And you may be in a season of feeling left out right now. You may be in a season of feeling abandoned right now, of overlooked right now, of ignored right now, of disregarded right now. And Jesus is looking right at you. Jesus is looking at you and saying, blessed are you. And I know we're not there yet, but he's saying you're the people that have it good. And here's why. And he gets to the last part of this verse. And this is, once again, this is how I want you to read, not just this, not just verse 3, but I want you to read all, I want you to read all of the, the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes with this template in mind. You're blessed. Not a command. You're blessed. And you're poor in spirit. But here's the reward. Here's, here's where the comfort comes in. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now let's talk about kingdom you're going to see the theme of kingdom all through the Sermon on the Mount. Now, it's all through Matthew, but pay attention as it comes up in the Sermon on the Mount. As we move through this series, week after week, you're going to see the theme of kingdom come up again and again. A kingdom is anywhere somebody's particular rule and reign is expressed, where their authority is got the, the hold on the place. Okay, wherever their authority and their rule is expressed and tangible, we all have kingdoms to different extents, right? Some of us have large kingdoms, some of have a small kingdom. My wife's suburban is a kingdom, okay? she holds rule and reign over that. that's why when the kids, never me, but the kids, because I blame them, that's why when there's water bottles and Fast food wrappers left in there. Guess what? There's a price to pay. Because that's her kingdom. And it will be lived out and cared for in a certain way. And Jesus is saying, the kingdom of God is drawing near. And here's how you live out inside this kingdom. There's a new way of living that's being ushered in. There's a new way of existing in this world that's coming in through this kingdom. And Jesus is reaching out and is inviting all these people. Come experience those inside this kingdom. Come experience what it's like to live. Chris made this point last week. We are citizens of a kingdom that is 2,000 years old and has never suffered defeat once. Now, it... We got worried about it at times, but God never did. I mean, we thought maybe something would come along and shake it to its foundation. God never blinked. The Roman army, the Roman Empire couldn't crush it. There's not been a government regime in history that's been able to snuff out what Jesus has started, and believe me, many have tried That's why you and I, this is a side note, this isn't in my notes, but this is a freebie. This is what you get when you come. You and I do not need to worry or lose sleep over November 3rd. Do you understand? I mean, go vote, participate in politics. I'm all for that. But as followers of Jesus... We need not be anxious because God's on the throne. His kingdom will not suffer one ounce of loss, and yet he invites us in. This is what it means to be part of his kingdom. He's saying, blessed are those that are part of my kingdom, and my kingdom is made up of the anawim. My kingdom is made up of the overlooked and the left out and the left behind and that didn't quite make it, and that didn't quite measure up. Upside down is this kingdom, because it's not based on the merit. It's not based on how much money you make, how many titles you have, how many degrees you can stack up, how many houses you have, how fast your Wi-Fi is. None of that matters. But that you're a part of this. And see... That's, that's what I want you to know. All of the Beatitudes, what they are, they're an invitation. And, and, and it's even stronger that. They're an invitation and a summons. But sometimes we think about summons. We think about summons is I recently got a summons. I was going a little too fast. And a kind police officer pulled me over to let me know that I was going a little too fast. And instead of just reminding me, he gave me a summons. An invitation, if you will, to appear before the Hamilton County uh, Justice of the Peace. Now, that's one kind of summons. But you understand, this is a summons or an invitation that comes from the king. Now, you get that kind of summons. You get that kind of invitation. And that's one that you pay attention to. And so... We, as those that the world left out, we've been called into his presence. And here's why we're so blessed. Because what Jesus initiated that day on that hillside is he's letting all these unincluded, left out, overlooked, disregarded people. He's saying, it all begins because God has come near in my person. He's introducing himself this way. And those of us that recognize him, we understand what's to come. Here's a quote that came across from N.T. Wright. I'm going to share it with you. If you want to take a picture of it, you can. The Beatitudes are a summons to live in the present in the way that will make sense in God's promised future because the future has arrived in the present in the Jesus of Nazareth. Do you remember the Lord's Prayer? That's part of the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to get to that in just a few weeks. In the words, prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done where? Earth as it is in heaven. We get to be part of the people that usher in this new way of life. This way of life that no longer judges people based on their merit, and their accomplishment, and their success rate, and their bank account, but by those that are living inside the kingdom. Because we're the ones that know, even though in this world we, we're going to mourn, I've done enough funerals to know that mourning's not over. We're going to cry, and we're going to grieve, and we're going to struggle. But it's not in vain. That's what the scriptures are telling us. That we're not without hope now in this present world and that there's comfort here because we know that what we're a part of is we're a part of not waiting for the chance we all get to go to heaven we're part of the experience of bringing heaven to earth here and now and by that god will heal our land there's our hope there's our confidence because we know we know more than the people standing on the hillside that day because we're on this side of the cross. We're the ones that know that even when the Roman Empire and the religious leaders threw their worst at Jesus, threw everything that they had at him, with a mock trial and a whipping and a crucifixion and an execution, and they buried him in the grave, and they put a rock in front of it, they put a group of guards in front of it and said, There, we're done. Ha, ha, ha. Three days. That's their success rate. I've got milk in my refrigerator older than that. Three days. And he walks out. And we're the ones that know that. And we know he's going to return. So we live with this in mind. So I'm reminded of this great story I heard from Max Lucado. He's an author and a pastor. And he shared the story. He grew up in Andrews out in the uh, Panhandle. And in fourth grade, his father, Small fourth grade class was involved in a production of Wizard of Oz. If you know anything about Wizard of Oz, there's a group of people that fourth graders are designed to play, the Munchkins. Okay? It was actually a high school production, but they brought in all the Munchkins from the fourth graders, and so they taught them their parts and the lines, and they were going to combine with the high school for the main production. Well, those of you, the teachers, you know how this works. You don't take the fourth graders to every rehearsal because that's the disaster. What you do is you work with the fourth graders and you tell them their lines because it's fairly limited and they sing their song. And so he'd been going to practice as a fourth grader or rehearsal again and again and again and again. And then one day came for the dress rehearsal where they were going to combine with the high school. Okay. He had not heard or seen the movie Wizard of Oz by now, so he was shocked when suddenly a character shows up named the Wicked Witch of the West. And she was scary, and she was mean, and she was cackling. And suddenly he's back on his heels as a little fourth grader because nobody told him about this part of the story. And he didn't know the end of the story. He, he didn't know that this character that's so scary melts in water. And that's all it took. But we're people that know the end of the story. And we know that because Jesus walked out of a tomb, there's nothing that they can throw at him. So for all the overlooked, left behind, and left out folks, blessed are you. Because Jesus invites you into his kingdom. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, the times in my life when I felt out of place, the times in my life I've mourned, I pray for all those that have experienced one. I pray that we would be the people that cling to the end of the story that while we may be poor in spirit here, we know that this is your kingdom and your reign is expanding across this world. And that perhaps in a very tangible way, in my family, in our houses, in our communities, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our bands, in our football teams, in our civic groups, Wherever we find ourselves, Father, that we would be part of bringing the kingdom closer because you drew near to us first. And you didn't overlook us. And you didn't leave us out. Instead, you sent the invitation, the calling, the summons for us to participate with you in this. So, Father, I pray I pray for myself, Pray for all those that struggle with what I struggle with of measuring myself up compared to somebody else based on some kind of accomplishment, based on some kind of ability, based on some kind of number in a bank account, based on some kind of, of, range of influence. Father, that I would see all that stuff for what it is, and realize that no, I'm blessed because you have chosen us. Father, I ask all this in the name of those out there that, that would be peacemakers, that would extend mercy, that were, are facing persecution even today because of you. And I ask that you would remind us all how blessed we are. Father, I ask all this name of the King and the one who makes all this possible, and the one that originally said, Blessed are you. It's in his name we pray. Amen.